Well, good morning. Welcome to Heritage. And uh, it's good to be back, I think. No offense to you. It's got nothing to do with you, right? Uh, man, it feels like about a year since I preached last. Um, but uh, it's great to be back. I want to thank you, many of you, for your cards and notes and texts and emails and all the rest of that. I really appreciate it. And those of you were praying, I know. Thank you so much. Um, I greatly appreciated that, needed that. <laughs> so that's, that was great. And, and by the way, happy Valentine's Day, right? Tomorrow. And I uh, hope you all have a, a great day. I realize that's a Hallmark-created uh, holiday, nothing else, right? And, uh, but it's a great opportunity for you to show people your love for them. So please open your Bibles with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And if you don't have a Bible or a phone or a tablet, would like to follow along, uh, Bibles under the chairs in front of you, page 802 in those Bibles. And uh, you can follow along with us in, as we look at that. And I simply want to start as I, as I read these verses for you. I want to read verses 5 through 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, Boy, it's been a long time since we've started 1 Corinthians. Uh, I was looking at my notes and my calendar going back um, to when we began in January a year ago. And I was like, wow, I can't believe. And I totaled because this will be the uh, next to the last message out of the text of 1 Corinthians. I'm looking at doing a couple what I'm calling appendices. You all know what an appendix is? Well, an appendices is, is more than one appendix. I don't know how you say it like that. And I'm not talking about the thing in your body that they take out somewhere along the way, appendix, but I'm talking about some thoughts along the way maybe that are, not maybe, but that are listed in 1 Corinthians that we maybe didn't cover as much or uh, at all and some things um, that we're going to talk about. I, folks, been wanting to do this for a long time, going to preach a message on homosexuality. It's in 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're going to talk about what the Bible says, not what culture says, not what people think, but what does the Bible say. And uh, you ought to think about that. If somebody said to you, hey, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Could you answer that question? What would you say? Oh, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah, I know all about that. Well, there's a whole lot more to it than that. But could you talk about it? Biblically, intelligently, we're going to look at that. We're going to talk about hell, Hades, and heaven. Because at the end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we find out when people are raised from the dead bodily, where did they come from? Where were they? Like right now, when you die as a believer... Where do you go? We always say you go to heaven, right? Well, where is that? What was Hades? What was paradise? And where does all that fit? We're going to talk about that. And a couple other things along the way is we're going to talk about the rapture. When, what's that timeline? Because we've referred to the second coming of Jesus, the rapture. What are those two things? Are they different? Are they the same? How do we view that? And uh, because, the, again, Paul talks about Jesus is coming again. Well, what does that mean? When is that going to happen? What does that look like for us? What do we believe about that? 
So there's at least three that we're going to talk about. I'm, I'm looking as well at doing another one just on marriage. We talked about divorce and what does, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians about uh, marriage and divorce. We are, are going to focus on the marriage side of things, folks, because actually the foundation for a biblical understanding of homosexuality starts with the biblical understanding of marriage. If you don't get what God says about marriage and the foundation that's there, the rest of it won't make sense to you. And so it's clear that we've got to understand all of that. So we're going to look at that. So anyway, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, look at verse 5. Follow along with me as I read for you. Paul says this, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door of effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. For he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Verse 13, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. We're going to stop there today and, and work through this. So, What in the world do we uh, make of these concluding thoughts and challenges that Paul gives to the church in Corinth as he wrote to that church some 1900 plus years ago? And what does that have to do with us? It, 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 It sounds like a travel itinerary. If you had your outlook calendar on your phone or your um, tablet or some of you will remember day timers. Uh, the, you, the older crowd would remember those before you had it all on your phone. I, I mean, what is this all Paul is telling? Well, here's what I got on my calendar. Just want you to know I'm communicating. It, what's the point of all of this? Um, how are we to understand what God might want us to know from these verses at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Well, remember this truth. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy, if you want to write that down or look at it, I'll have it on the screen for you. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 are a couple of verses that you ought to have down, that you ought to know at least where to go and to look them up and what they say and what it's about. But here's what Paul tells us. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture, I should have capitalized the two L's, all, all Scripture 
Every part of this book, the Bible, when you see that word scripture, it's the Bible. That's what we refer to. I know sometimes we use words that not everybody may understand. So when we say scripture, the Bible, this book, that's what we're talking about. All of the Bible, all of this book, all scripture is God-breathed. Some of your translations may have inspired. The Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the books of the Bible. He carried them along as they wrote. He used their personal experience. He used their personality. He spoke to them, and they wrote what they wrote. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. And, and, and each of them are written by four different individuals about the same stuff. But when you read through them, it's different. There are some things that are talked about in all four of those books. But there are some things that are only talked about in one of the four. The Christmas story is found in which two books? Folks, Christmas wasn't that long ago. Matthew and Luke, right, yeah. And we, we, we touched on that this past Christmas. Mainly Matthew, but, but he, they wrote, well, they write differently. Wait a minute, ah, see, there's mistakes in the Bible. No. No, we understand that each of those individual writers was moved by the Holy Spirit of God. God breathed, carried them along to write what they wrote. I've used this illustration many, 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 many times. For instance, if, if, if after this service finishes and we all went out into the parking lot because we heard a loud bang and there were five cars all in, in a big pileup at the end of the driveway right there on Venard, and, and there were police all over the place, and, and, and as you walked down, somebody walked up and said, hey, did you see what happened? Tell me what happened. And if they asked me, I'd say, well, here's what I saw, boom, 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 boom. And if they asked uh, Dawn, she'd say, well, here's what I saw. If they asked Hal Cross, well, here's what I saw. And Tim Cop, here's what I saw. It would all be different. Does that mean if their stories disagreed, but they all saw, they observed that, that there was a mistake, that there was a contradiction? No, they would be talking to you about what they saw. And that's why we have differences in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Holy Spirit of God carried them along. All scripture is God-breathed, inspired, and is useful <clears throat> for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Okay, man, that's, that's, a, that's a full plate there. So that. The servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You and I, as we serve God, are equipped by the God-breathed Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God. Why? Because we're taught like we're doing now. And, and, and we're rebuked. If, if we think one thing and the Bible says something different, the Word of God is going to rebuke you and me. It's going to say, no, 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 you've got to change your thinking. That's wrong. It's going to correct us, get us back on the right path. The rebuking says you're on the wrong path. Get back on the right path. The correcting says how to get back on. And then the training in righteousness, again, is more of that teaching and truth. 
so that we can live our life in it. So that we can be thoroughly equipped to do what God's called us to do on the face of this earth till Jesus comes again at the rapture. Now, when we understand that, we look at Scripture. So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and, and years ago when I was in Bible college, one of the things that, that I was taught, given a list of questions, and in fact I remember after that as a youth pastor, and we had uh, our students at times using the Word of Life Quiet Time Diary. Uh, some of you know about the Word of Life Bible Institute up in Scroome Lake, New York. Joel Farnsworth is there, right, Ned? And uh, I, I know he has to use the Word of Life Quiet Time Diary. It's a devotional tool. And in there, it's the same thing. But here's some questions that I was taught that are basic. They're, they're, there's a number of different ones that anytime you read the Bible, you ought to ask yourself these questions. So number one, uh, when you read the Bible, is there a sin to avoid? As you're going through a text, you look, is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim for you? And you have to look at that and understand that a lot of times promises are given in Scripture to a very specific audience. Is that promise for us to claim? We have to think through that. Is there an example to follow? A pattern for us? Is there a command to obey? We're going to look at five commands in verses 13 and 14 today. Do they apply to us? And then as we talk, when you read the Bible, is there a truth to embrace? Is there a principle to practice? Is there a warning to heed? When you're reading the Bible, is there something new that you can learn about God or be reminded of or have reviewed in your heart and mind? These are questions that you can ask when you're reading the Word of God. You see, a lot of times we think, we, we, we open the Bible, we just read through it, but we don't interact. Folks, if you've been saved for any length of time, you, you, you've got to be learning. You've got to be grasping the truths of the Word of God. And not just reading it, but asking questions so that you can learn and grow and be thoroughly equipped for all that God has called you to do. Now, as we talk about this then, let's keep that in mind as we work through this whole business of, of what's Paul saying here at the end of his letter. At first glance, again, it may seem like nothing more than a travel itinerary for him and Timothy and Apollos. He's responding to some of the questions. If you remember, we started back in chapter 1. The first four chapters had to do with what issue that was going on in the church at Corinth. I'm not sure if I'm hearing unity. I think I did. Maybe not. But anyway, yes, unity. You're right. Right? So the first four chapters, Paul's talking about unity of the church, standing together. But as we get to chapter 7, Paul says this in verse 1. He says, now for the matters that you wrote about. And he begins to do that a number of different times. And he started chapter 7, and he's talking about married life. He's talking about divorce and remarriage and, and all that whole thing. But he says, about those things that you wrote to me about. You see, Paul was responding to a letter that he had received from the believers in the church at Corinth. And so that's what he's saying. Now about the matters that you wrote to me about. In chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, Now about food sacrifice to idols, because that's one of the issues that they wrote to him about. We talked about that in chapters 8, 9, and 10. In verse 
or chapter 12, verse 1, now about the gifts of the Spirit. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul taught about the gifts of the Holy Spirit of God, the ability, the special God-given ability for service. We get to chapter 16 in verse 1. I started at verse 5 this morning, but verse 1 says, now about the collection for the Lord's people. Again, because they had written to him asking, what about this we're hearing about, this collection for God's people? And so he responds in those first four verses. Actually, we'll look at this one in just a minute, but down in verse 12. We just read through chapter 16 and verse 12. Paul says this, now about our brother Apollos. You see, the church in that letter wrote and asked something about Apollos. Probably, is he Paul? Is Apollos coming? When is he coming? We'll get to that in just a minute. So as we look at that, that, that's part of how he's wrapping things up here. But these are like the conclusion, these verses to his whole long letter. He's wrapping it up. He's bringing to a close this very long letter to the Corinthian church, dealing with about 10 major issues over the course of those 16 chapters. And he wants to conclude, like you would if you're writing a letter, with some meaningful thoughts, right? Or if you've ever written a paper. You remember those days back in college or high school or grad school and you had to write the paper and you, you had to present it all and then you had to wrap it all up. That's how they teach us to preach as well or to teach. You, you, you present the material, but then you bring it to a conclusion. That's what Paul's trying to do here. Bring this all to a conclusion and he wants to share something meaningful. He can't review everything or he may as well write a second letter, 16 more chapters. He did write a second letter, which is actually his fourth letter to the church of Corinth. But he's bringing it all to a conclusion. Well, he, I, I, I think it's like, what can I say that will make a difference? How do I recap the things that I've talked about? And as I was thinking through this, that's what brought me to the point as I was thinking and praying through this. I think, God, we need to work on a couple of these and do some appendices from 1 Corinthians. So that's where my thoughts came from. But I think Paul is saying, as he wraps this all up, here's what's on my heart. Let me share with you what I've been saying. Let me try to put it into a few concise thoughts. Here's what's on my heart. And in verses 5 to 9, and as he goes down actually to verse 13 and 14, I think Paul is saying this is what matters most. I'm talking to you about something very significant, and I want you to get that this is my life, Paul would be saying. Paul's life was the local church. That's what I think really these verses are concluding with. The thought of the local church. Local church ministry. You say, well, wait a minute. He's given us his travel plans. But think about that. Look at it again. Verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, Paul is writing from Ephesus. He was in Ephesus when he was writing this. And he was there. And uh, he says, after I go through, so the land route would have been to go up north and up and around uh, through Macedonia. For I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I'll be going through Macedonia. Well, who was in, what was in Macedonia? There were at least three churches that Paul had started. 
Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. You could go back to Acts chapter 16. Does anybody remember Acts chapter 16 and the Philippian jailer? The earthquake, remember that? Well, Paul started a church there. That's in Macedonia. And Paul's going through there. What do you think he's going to do as he goes through there? He's going to stop and visit the churches that he planted, at least in those three cities. Verse 6, perhaps I will stay with you for a while. He's talking now when I get to Corinth or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. Uh, For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. He's like, listen, I I don't want to travel all that way and, and just hang out for a couple of days. I want to spend some time with you. You you know, we're used to traveling. You can get in an airplane, and in three hours, you can be in California, right? Uh, It it doesn't take long. Well, it wasn't like that for Paul. And so when he's making the trip, he wants to be with the people, if the Lord permits. But he says, I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? Why is he going to stay there for a while? Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. What's he talking about? He's in Ephesus planning a church. That's what he's talking. This all has to do with his ministry to people, God's people, the church, local churches. Paul's job was his, his, God called him to plant churches, primarily to reach the Gentiles. But Paul tells us in Romans, he had a real heart for his own people, the Jews. But God called him to plant churches. God called him to make disciples. And he says, I will come to you. You in Corinth. But I care about you. And I want to be there and spend time with you. I care too about the churches in Macedonia that I started. Just like the churches in Galatia. He said that back when he's talking about giving. In the first four verses. Well, what church is we talking about there? Again, go back to the book of Acts. Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Antioch, Pisidia. You'd find out that's what was going on. Again, it had to do with local churches. His heart for God's people in the local churches. I want to minister to you, he's saying. That's what the heart of what Paul is saying. It's all about ministry to the local church. And ministry is hard. If you've been involved in ministry, you know that. You know that it's heartbreaking. You know that it's time-consuming. You know that if you're going to be used of God, it takes ability the Holy Spirit of God gives you, spiritual gifts, chapters 12 to 14. And there are uncertainties. I mean, you could look back and you could study all of the uncertainties as you read through the text. It's amazing. When Paul says, wherever I go, if I come, uh, I hope to spend time with you if the Lord permits See, it's not always cut and dried. Do you remember back when he was going to go to Philippi? He didn't start out going there. He was going to go to Bithynia. And as he and his team of of, uh, workers were heading out on their trip, the Holy Spirit of God stopped them. You could go back and read Acts chapter 16 and and about the first 10 or 11 verses, and you'll see that. And then then he had a vision of of a man saying, they're in Macedonia, in Philippi, come over to us. That's how God led Paul to Philippi to plant the church there. 
That's how the Spirit of God works. There is uncertainty. It's about the will of God, if God permits. God brings opportunities. God opens doors, and that's what Paul is saying. I'm not going to come to your right away. I want to be with you. I love you people. But God's opened an amazing opportunity right in Ephesus. I have to stay here. There's work to be done. He said, I got to tell you, there are many who oppose me. You see, we sometimes think we get opposition. That means up. We must be barking up the wrong tree. It's not what Paul said. He said, God's opened the door and there's many who oppose me, but I got to stay here and walk through that door. And there will be opposition. That's why we're reading 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that our enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is looking for people to devour. He's talking about believers. Us who know Jesus. Opposition to ministry will come, and Paul's sharing that. He says that time and time again, all of what he went through in serving God, in planting local churches. And it's interesting, because the greatest opposition in the church of Corinth came from within. We just went through it. You could go back through and read all of what was going on. The first four chapters, the disunity, obviously came from within. All of the discussion about all of the other issues that he dealt with as far as marriage and divorce and, and, and um, food offered to idols and spiritual gifts and the resurrection of our bodies and, and all of those things, all of that came from within God's people disagreeing with one another and what Paul had taught. Well, look at verse 10. That's Paul's journey as he's talking about, but it's connected to the local church. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt, send him on his way in peace so that he return to me. Now there's a lot of ideas about what Paul meant, why he said, okay, uh, see to it that he has nothing to fear. Some will talk about, they'll go to 1 Timothy chapter seven or chapter 1, verse 7, when, when it talks about Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't fear. Don't, don't, be, don't be given to your timidity. Timothy was timid. He was shy, a little fearful. And, and so some would say, well, that's why Paul said to that. I, I don't, Sure, it might be. I think it's very difficult to, to land on any one explanation to say it must be that, absolutely. Now, guys who write books, they can do that because they get paid to write a book, right? But for the rest of us who can look at other answers and figure out different, it's hard to know exactly what was going on. That certainly is, is a possibility. But here's what I think. I don't think Paul is going to send a shy, timid, fearful individual to do what he called him to do it's like sending him into the there's a book michelle mark batterson in the pit with a lion on a snowy day how'd you like to do that how do you get out well i think that's why the snowy day keeps you from right so so as we talk about the the hardness of all of that 
he's not going to send Timothy into that pit with a lion on a snowy day if Timothy isn't up to be able to handle that. And, and so as, as he, th- he says, what I think he's going on here is he says, Timothy, understand this. Hey, or Corinth, Corinthians, when Timothy comes, understand he's going to give you the message. That's what Paul says. You should don't treat him with contempt because he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. If you could go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talked about what he would do when he sent Timothy to them and, and what he wanted Timothy to do. That's back where he said, listen, you need to be imitators of me. Paul later said in chapter 11, I'm, follow me because I'm following Jesus. But the message that Paul was sending Timothy to tell the Corinthian believers was, follow Jesus. Get rid of this other stuff, but follow Jesus. And he knew because Paul had faced opposition from the Corinthians, if Timothy send, or Paul's sending Timothy in his place, Timothy's going to experience that same opposition right there in Corinth. And he's saying, hey, you take care of him. Don't look down on him. That's the idea of contempt. Don't look down on someone. Don't treat them as meaningless because of the message that he will deliver. I think it's more apt that maybe eight to ten years after this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul told Timothy this, and you'll know, you, some of you may know this verse, may have memorized this verse. Paul told Timothy, hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young but instead be an example. Be an example of what a believer ought to be. Make a mark, leave an impression on the people around you of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Now that's eight to 10 years later and he's still saying to Timothy, don't let anybody despise you or look down on you because you're young. Timothy would have been even younger here in Corinth. That was a bigger deal at that point than it is today many times. So whatever the reason may be, the whole idea is this. Timothy's going to say, hey, Paul said, follow me because I'm following Jesus and I'm telling you the same thing and here's the truths that you need to live your life in a way. You know, what, what's he repeating really? I think he's repeating the theme of the message, the letter of 1 Corinthians, which has been what? Do you remember? One simple statement. Here it is, taken out of 1 Tim- or Corinthians Chapter 1 and uh, verse 2. We have it. Do you remember that? All right, well, it is this. God's holy people must become what they already are. Hey, Pastor Glenn. Hey. I was just thinking about what God just said a few, uh, a few days ago, actually. Good, good. I'm glad you were. Let it sink in, right? Chapter 1, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about you've been called as holy people. You've been declared to be righteous. Now live like it. That's what we're saying. God's holy people must become what they already are. We claim to be a believer. We claim to be a follower of Jesus. We need to live like it. That's what the letter is about. And that's what Timothy's, that's the message that he was going to proclaim to the church there in Corinth, and that was going to take some real effort on his part as he talks about that. Verse 12, now Paul talks about Apollos. Now about our brother Apollos. You wrote to me, obviously, that's what that phrase, now about, means. Now about our brother Apollos. Apollos followed Paul 
in the planting of the church in Corinth. In fact, if you go back to Acts chapter 18, after Paul leaves, he had been there for about uh, 18 months or more. And, and Apollos came to help teach the people. He had been one of the pastors probably at the church at Corinth. And so they're asking about him. He says, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers, the others who were traveling and planting churches. He was quite unwilling to go. Some want to read into this a disagreement, uh, a, a problem. Uh, maybe. Again, we don't know enough to know what happened. We know that, remember Paul and Barnabas? Man, they had a major disagreement at the end of Acts chapter 15. Remember? Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them on their team, and Paul said, absolutely not. The guy's a quitter. We're not taking him. I don't want any quitter on board with me. And so they divided and went their own way. We never know who was right and who was wrong, but they did have a disagreement, a strong disagreement. But they both kept ministering. Later on, near the end of Paul's life, when Paul's talking, to Timothy, he says, hey, I want you to get some of my books, get my winter coat, and by the way, when you come to see me, I want you to bring John Mark. Yeah, the quitter. Because he's profitable to me for the ministry. How do you think he got profitable? Barnabas. That's another whole story, right? But here it is, Apollos. He was quite unwilling to go now. Well, why might that be? I think The simplest answer is simply this, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Again, when the Lord permits. Apollos was involved in ministering in a church somewhere. There was opportunity right then and there to do the work of God. He wasn't going to leave the work of God just to go see the Corinthian people. He would do that when the opportunity presented itself. When God permitted him to go. That's what we're talking about. When he has the opportunity, he's ministering to people in a local church. You see, that's what's going on here. It's all about the ministry of the local church. The ministry of the local church is God's plan for you and I today. You read through the New Testament and you find out The ministry of the local church was at the center of what God was saying would produce disciples. That's where, after the resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus told the disciples, go make disciples, baptize and teach them to obey. And then the same thing again at the beginning of the book of Acts and the church began. Folks, that's what it's about. That's why we are here. We don't just, we're not just doing this. This building isn't here just so that every Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever else we happen to gather together, we just come here and do our thing and then we're on our way. That's not the church. It's just a meeting. The church ought to be at the very center of our lives when you read through the New Testament. That's exactly what you see. You can't miss it. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, you follow me because I'm following Jesus. All in the context of local church ministry. All with the idea that God's holy people must become what they already are. And you can't do that 
by just showing up in this building once a week or twice a week or only on Sunday. If we're going to be the church that God made us to be, we need to be together regularly. It needs to be the priority. So what does this mean for us? Well, Paul gives in verses 13 and 14, and I'll mention them quickly for you, five imperatives, commands, that are essential, urgent calls to action. So Paul is saying, all right, here's all this. This is what we're doing. It's all about the local church. Understand that. But here, if we are going to be the church God made us to be, here's the imperatives that are necessary. If we are going to be God's holy people, if we're going to become who we already are, these imperatives are necessary. Look at it, verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. All five of those statements are imperatives, they're commands. They're must-dos. Calls to action. Be on your guard, Paul says. The idea, some translations will say be watchful. Some will say be alert. The idea of being on your guard is to be in a state of constant readiness. Ready and willing to do what's necessary for the glory of God, for the work of God, for the local church. Be watchful for anything that would move us away from the truth of the gospel. Because as we said already, because our enemy, the devil, is going to do all he can to destroy this church. And if he can do it from within, hey, we, you know, we talk about what's going on in our culture today, all of the stuff that, you know, the whole abortion battle that's going on in our country, the whole uh, political thing, the whole uh, same-sex marriage thing, all of that stuff. And folks, we think that's what's going to take the church down. I'll tell you what will take the church down quicker and more effectively is God's people not paying attention to God's word. That's what will happen. That's why Paul spent four chapters, 25% of this letter, on unity. Be watchful for anything that would move us away from the gospel. This is often a phrase that's connected with the return of Jesus Christ. You see, when we're expecting Jesus Christ to come back at any moment, and that's what we say, we will talk about that over the course of the next few weeks somewhere. But when we know Jesus is coming again, it, Paul talks about it, John talks about it back in 1 John chapter 2 and 3. When we know Jesus is coming again, it ought to change how we live our lives. It ought to change how we view sin in our hearts. It ought to change how we, we live in holiness before God. It ought to cause us to want to make sure that as God's holy people, we are living like we are holy people. Not just giving it lip service when we're here together on a Sunday morning. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, secondly. Firmly committed to what you believe. The core truths of the gospel. Folks, I, I just, in study for this message on homosexuality, I've been doing quite a bit of extra reading. One of the things that was pointed out about that topic, about a whole lot of topics in our culture today, 
is how easy God's people have changed their thinking about God's word. It used to be, we say, there was no question about a lot of things. I mean, we just knew that's what the Bible taught for 1,900-some years. And all of a sudden, because now culture, you got to be politically correct, you got to be culturally correct, and to stand up for the truth, God's people are saying, well, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Could God, a loving God, really mean that? And one of the things I need to say, as if the love of God was the overarching characteristic of God. But you see, we too easily get out of understanding the truth of the Word of God because it's not the friendly, correct thing to hold on to in our culture, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace. We need to claim, and Paul's saying, you got to stand firm in the faith. You've got to be firmly committed to what you believe, the core truths of the gospel. How does a person get saved? You realize it's not a popular thing to say that the gospel is very exclusive. It is only for those who believe. Just because somebody, but yeah, but if they have good intentions, and that's really what they, okay, but what does Scripture say? What does the Bible say about salvation, about sin? about the resurrection. Let nothing move you. Hold your ground. Don't retreat. That's what Paul's talking about. That's going to be critical and more so is until Jesus comes again, folks. When you're my age, some of you are older. So when we're the older segment of society, it's easy to say, man, I'm glad I won't be around. I'll be in heaven. That's how we kind of, what we really mean is, yeah, we'll be in heaven, but I'm glad I'm not going to have to put up with all that stuff that's going to be going on. You know that my oldest son is a, is a detective. He sees the worst of life every week. Do you know what his major concern is? And this is not a shock to you. His kids. Right? what his kids will have to deal with. And I'm saying, oh man, my grandkids, what they're going to have to deal with. I don't plan to be here unless I break the age records, right? <laughs> unless I get up there with Methuselah, 969 years. But hey, think about that. Number three, be courageous. Be courageous and be strong are, are kind of together. They're two separate, but they go together. You could study throughout the Old Testament and often... We read together, be strong and of good courage. That's what Moses told Joshua when he took over. And, and as we read that, but act like men, be courageous. Act like men. Ladies, this is not a slam on you. This doesn't mean that, actually, there probably is a part of that. When Paul was challenging the men as it related to the spiritual gifts, because Paul talked about what the women should or shouldn't do, we preached through that. But grow up really is what he's saying. Get spiritually mature. You know how that happens? You learn this book. You read it. You study it. You go through it. You go through those questions that I gave you at the beginning of this message. 
And you ask those questions and you learn and you grow and you study so that you can be mature. Don't act childish. You see, when we don't know the truth of the Word of God, we're willing to say, well, it's what I want. It's what I think. Folks, nothing, it doesn't matter what I think. When I stand up here on Sunday morning, week, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. Be courageous. It takes courage to believe and live counterculturally. And there are going to be issues that you and I as believers are going to have to take stands on. They're going to be very, very hard. You already know that. Are you going to back down? Or are you going to be courageous? Be strong, he says. Let yourself be continuously strengthened. That doesn't mean that you go to the gym and work out. Right? Get the biggest Bible you can find, and I'm going to lift this every right? ten times. Take a break and, and do, do five reps, right? Ten times. Whoa, big Bible, yeah. That's not what Paul's talking about. When he says be strong, the idea, the word is such that it means literally um, that you are to be strengthened by God. God is the one who will strengthen you. And that will come as we dig into this book. That will come as we allow the word of God to renew our minds. To change our thinking. I was impressed, David, a couple of weeks ago when you were here with your team. And the joy of the Lord was talked about. And do you remember that truth? The joy of the Lord is your strength. You know why we have weak Christians? Because we have a lot of unhappy, grumpy Christians. And why we have that is because they're not in the book. They're not eating. They're not feeding. They're not learning. Lastly, Paul says, do everything in love. Verse 14, do everything in love. Love is sacrificial, folks. Love says, I don't care about me. I care about you. We're not just talking about husband and wife. We're not just talking about parents and kids. We're talking about God's people with God's people. That's what we're... Love is sacrificial in nature. Corinth had a love problem. Chapters 8, 9, and 10, when, when, the, when the discussion on meat, eating meat, sacrifice to idols... And, and the idea was don't do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. It's like, are you going to take your own right? But I, this is my right. Paul says, no, no, no. You got to be willing to sacrifice. That's love. Be willing to do for others. That's the message of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Scott preached on that. Do you remember? Walked through those love characteristics. The one that always sticks. Love believes all things. That means love thinks the best. See, we're prone to think the worst first. Love thinks the best. John 13, 34 and 35 I'm going to guess that many of you have heard that before, and when you see it again, you'll know a new 
command I give you, love one another. Here it is. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, what? Loving one another. Will everyone know that you are my disciples, that you are followers of Jesus? How? If you love one another. Wow. God's holy people must live what they've already become. Love one another will be moving us down that road quicker than anything else. But all of what Paul says is critical. Can I just ask you two questions here? What if? What if? Our church was known in the community, characterized by love. What might happen if love characterized our church? I'm not saying that we hate each other. I'm not saying that people don't love each other. I'm not saying that at all. But when we talk about John 13, 34, and 35, and then think about it like this, if it characterized our church, that doesn't mean that we never sin or mess up or get angry or upset and yell at somebody. And, but what if love characterized our church what if in our community people whenever they talked about heritage they would say man those people love one another what an opportunity how we would impact our community and make a difference not for heritage for God that's what Paul's talking about that's what he's trying to get at here that's what he's trying to, that happens as the local church does its job as we work together for the glory of God. Exercising love for one another. All these other characteristics. Be watchful, be on your guard. Standing firm in the faith, committed to what you believe. Be courageous, be strong, man up, grow up. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. God, thank you. Oh, man, what? To understand all of what Paul's trying to say here after 16 chapters, oh, God, I pray that the Spirit of God would apply these amazing truths to our hearts. And I pray, God, that you would solidify in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, the importance of your church, not as a place to go on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, but as the center of our life with Jesus Christ as the head. Oh God, help us to live in a way that people see the presence of Jesus in us, in all that we do. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.